We hope you enjoy this podcast from Light Church Edithburg. To find out more about us, visit lightchurch.co. Uh, the joy of the Lord is your strength. Well, who's heard that before? The joy of the Lord is your strength. I read it a few months ago. And I'm like, why? <laughs> I don't know if you've ever read stuff. And it sounds great. But it's like, what, how does it even work? Right. Because sometimes we say things all the time. We read things and they sound lovely. And they're super poetic. And, and they, they just, they're nice in our ears. Right? And, and we heard it. We might have heard it a bunch of times in church. The joy of the Lord is your strength. Yeah. That sounds great. What, what does it even mean? Like, and, and I read it. And I'm like, why? Why is joy my strength? Surely strength is your strength. Right? That sounds more simple. Or, or Jesus my strength. Or, or, and so I just read it and I'm like, why? What? How? <laughs> well, it doesn't make any sense. And I'm sure it does, but I think I'm missing something. Joy of the Lord is your strength. Let's read the passage it comes through. It's in Nehemiah 8. I bet half of you didn't even know where it was from because we just hear this, this phrase thrown out all the time, the joy of the Lord is your strength. It says, And Nehemiah continued, Go and celebrate with a feast of rich foods and sweet drinks and share gifts of food with people who have nothing prepared. This is a sacred day before our Lord. Don't be dejected and sad for the joy of the Lord is your strength. And even that doesn't make sense if we just read it like that. Like, why are they sad? Have a feast. I've never been sad while I eat. I don't know about you, but it's one of the keys to happiness in my life, right? And the context is Israel have been in captivity in Babylon. They've been back. They've been rebuilding the town. And then Ezra read them the law. And then they realized they hadn't been doing it. And then they were sad because they were convicted and shown, hey, your life looks nothing like this. And he says, hey, don't be sad. The joy of the Lord is your strength. So that's the context of that. But this word joy, if you, there's lots of different translations of Bible. But if you have an ESV Bible, the English Standard Version, which is a great one, you'll read joy about 430 times in your Bible. That's a fair few. And there are different translations of that word, but they all kind of mean the same thing. Joy. Joy. And so it's a, it's a big deal. Joy. And so I, I, I've been on a bit of journey now, and I'm just going to speak about it and, and pray that God just shines a new light and brings a new joy in us. And Because uh, I think there's something pretty powerful there. So God, we just give you this today, your word, let your word and nothing else be remembered. Your word is alive, it is living, it is powerful. Let it be alive, living and powerful within us. Give us ears to hear, eyes to see, hearts to perceive. In the name of Jesus, amen. amen. I think the biggest thing to get our head around is this joy, it's not up to us to create it. We're not meant to sit at home and just try really hard to be joyful. Have you ever done that? Has anyone ever told you, hey, be happy? Nothing makes you happier, right? You're going to enjoy this, right? No, it's not going to work. If you ever sit at home and just think, oh, I've just got to be so full of joy, it's not going to work. And when I was just praying to God about this, and he goes, it's joy of the Lord. 
It's not joy of Ben. It's not joy of Cody. It's not joy of Ange. It's not <coughs> joy of Julie. It's joy of the Lord. So it's not on us to make it happen. How good's that? That takes pressure off. I don't have to go home and sit home and, and be all joyful even when I don't feel like it because it's not up to me to create it because it's joy of the Lord. We don't manufacture it. We don't create it. It's joy of the Lord. God gives it. God fills it. God places it within us. The pressure's off. That's why it can be our strength because we don't have to make it. Anything I make is not going to be my strength because it ain't going to be too good. But because God can place it in us and God gives us joy and it's joy of the Lord, then it can be our strength. Because it's a fruit of the Spirit. In Galatians, Paul talks about the fruit of the Spirit. We have it here on the screen in Galatians 5. It says, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. What Paul is saying is when you follow Jesus, when the Holy Spirit is within you, God produces this stuff in you. Love, joy. There's a bunch of others, but we're talking about joy. It says when you follow Jesus and the Holy Spirit is within you, it produces joy out of you. It says you don't follow Jesus and then choose to be joyful. No, you follow Jesus and the Holy Spirit produces joy. God gives joy. God produces joy. It's given by God. I was going to read a few verses. We haven't got these ones on the screen, Gabby. Psalm 4, you've put joy in my heart. John 15, I've spoken to you that my joy will be in you. 1 Chronicles 16, joy is in his place. Psalm 16, 11, in your presence is fullness of joy. Romans 14, joy is in the Holy Spirit. We don't make the joy. I think that's the biggest key to getting our head around this. We don't make it, God gives it. We don't create the joy, we don't manufacture it, we don't try really hard. God gives us joy. God fills us with his joy. God produces joy in us. Joy. Created by God. And it's a theme that runs all throughout the Bible. And it talks about joy from God. It talks about joy from each other. Joy from children. Joy from food. Ecclesiastes, enjoy food. Oh, that's a good passage. Go read that one at lunchtime. Right. And it talks about joy... But then the Bible talks a lot about suffering. Don't know if you've noticed that. <laughs> a lot of people make mistakes and a lot of people suffer in the Bible. So it talks a lot about joy and a lot about suffering and it's not one or the other. And this is that distinction between happiness and joy. Happiness is based on my day. I'm pretty happy today because I've had a pretty smooth morning. There's been mornings that haven't been smooth and so I'm not naturally happy because my happiness is based on my circumstances. Right, it's a feeling, but joy is from God. And whenever joy is in the Bible, it's tied really closely to hope. If you read where joy is in the Bible, joy and hope go together. I'll give you a few examples. When... When God raised up Moses, the nation of Israel is in slavery. It says they rejoiced in joy. Before they were free, before they were in the promised land. They had joy before they were free because they had hope that they would be free. 
in, in the prophets in Isaiah, uh, and they're, they're under oppression in the foreign empire, and they looked forward with joy to salvation. They didn't have salvation, they didn't have freedom, but they had joy hoping for what was to come. When Jesus came to earth, was it joy to the world? Because it's what they'd hoped for. The Apostle Paul had a lot of suffering, but he had joy because he had hope in Jesus. The early church had a lot of suffering, but they were known for their joy because they had hope in Jesus. So joy and hope go together. Because our hope is in Jesus. So when we hope in Jesus, we're full of joy. Romans 15, 13. I pray that God, the source of hope, will fill you completely with joy and peace when you trust in him. Then you will overflow with confident hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. Joy and hope. You know, joy isn't just pretending things are good. Like, things are great. My wife's angry at me. Uh, the kids won't be quiet. And I haven't got enough money. But put a smile on your dial. No, that's not joy. Joy is hope that things are going to be good, that God is moving, that Jesus has defeated sin and death, so the future is good. My, he's got a plan for my family, a plan for my life, a plan for my community. I have hope in Jesus, so then I have joy. It's given by God, produced by God. We're filled with joy from God. Joy. You know, we don't manufacture it, but we can cultivate it. Right. I've talked about gardening a few times, and I've got to be careful because uh, I give you the wrong facts from our stories at home when I talk about gardening, um, because I usually help my wife, who knows more about gardening, then I relay the wrong facts to you uh, about it in my version uh, of gardening. And a tomato plant... If I just throw it on the lawn, which I'd love to, but if I just throw it on the lawn, it's not going to grow any tomatoes, is it? Hey, it's on dirt. Get sun and rain. Just throw it on there. It'll be right. How easy would that be, by the way? Brilliant. But no, you've got to dig a hole. You've got to put it in the ground. You've got to do other stuff to it. I've got to be careful because I'll tell you the wrong thing. You've got to do stuff, you've got to cultivate it. It's still the sun and rain, it's still the soil, and it's still. But then it produces tomatoes. See, God gives us joy, God fills us with joy, but we, we can do things to cultivate it in our lives. To cultivate joy, to provide a space for joy. That is why uh, I've used this example before. Jesus said, I'll give you abundant life, but a lot of Christians don't have abundant life. Right. Uh, a lot of people follow Jesus, but are still full of worry or have a bunch of um, shocking relationships. But Jesus promised abundant life. Yeah, he did. But you've got to follow and cultivate that. Just because you follow Jesus doesn't mean you're going to have joy. We've got to be in line with his will and cultivate it. Cultivate joy in our lives. There's three things that will ruin joy. Stress, offence and isolation. Stress is when our circumstances get bigger than Jesus. 
Offense is when our feelings <laughs> get bigger than Jesus. And isolation is when we don't even see Jesus. Those things will ruin joy. But the Bible gives us keys to cultivate joy, to overcome stress, to overcome offense, to overcome isolation, to cultivate joy. And I've just got four really quick points today. And the first one is rejoice. Rejoice. You know, when the Israelites were in slavery, they rejoiced in joy. They rejoiced in hope. They didn't rejoice because they were free. They didn't rejoice because they were in the promised land. They rejoiced because they had hope where they were going. They rejoiced. It's a decision to praise, not on now, but on the future that's promised. It's a decision to rejoice, to thank God, to praise God, not for what's now, but for what he's going to do, for what he is doing. It's a decision to rejoice. Rejoice. Rejoice in hope. When things haven't happened yet, when the miracle isn't there yet, we choose to pray, we choose to worship. That's rejoicing in hope. We hear about Paul and Silas in prison and they're praising God. They're not praising God because they love prison. right? They're not praising God because they've got the comfy chains on today. No, they're praising God because he's the God of hope and that changed things. See, when we make a decision to rejoice, it's a decision to worship in hope. Worship for who God is, for what he's going to do. Because we hope in Jesus, not in what's around us, and then we're filled with joy. We've done it a few times in life. I remember when we were first trying to move up to our drossen, and we're trying to get in this house and trying to find a rental, and everything just kept falling to bits. And I remember we had to make a decision, hey, we're just going to rejoice in hope that God's working it out, that he is good. And I remember specifically, I walked up here one day when we were still living in Edithburg, and I made a decision to praise and worship despite the mess that was going on. And something shifted in my spirit, and a few days later, something shifted in the housing market, right? When we choose to rejoice, it changes things, it shifts things. We make a choice to rejoice. When we, when we praise, when we choose to praise and honour God, Despite the situation, the stress comes down and God goes up. When we choose to rejoice, the offense goes down, the forgiveness and, and Jesus goes up. Right. Rejoice. The second key is community. Community is a key to joy. Philippians 1 says, from verse 3, Every time I think of you, I give thanks to my God. Whenever I pray, I make my requests for all of you with joy, for you have been my partners in spreading the good news about Christ from the time you first heard it until now. And I'm certain that God, who began the good work within you, will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. So it is right that I should feel as I do about you, full of joy, for you have a special place in my heart. You share with me special favour of God, both in my imprisonment and in defending and confirming the truth of the good news. God knows how much I love you. I long for you with tender compassion of Christ Jesus. Community of faith is one of the major avenues God gives us to receive and be filled with joy. You know, isolation is a dangerous place. Animals isolate to die. If you, if you want to have your faith die, go and isolate. 
I've never seen someone in isolation flourishing in faith because we're made for community. Now, the problem is none of us are perfect. So sometimes it gets a little bit complicated, right? And we're all on this journey together, all trying our best to follow Jesus and work it out. But we're created from, for community. In community, there is joy. Because no matter how we come in, we have a shared faith. We have a shared faith in Jesus that we're forgiven, restored, and made whole in Jesus. So we have a family of faith. We have a shared mission that we want to see our community know Jesus. We're unified in faith. And so be a church, be someone who brings joy. And don't wait for it to come to you. Bring joy to someone else. Pray for them. Encourage people. Bless someone. Speak life. Cheer each other on. What if we had a church community that it was our mission to bring joy to someone else? That'd be pretty good, wouldn't it? Cheering each other on, encouraging each other, praying, seeing the best in people. You know, that's what we need to do. We need to see the best in each other, don't we? Sometimes that's tricky. See the best in each other. You know, everyone's really trying their best. No one wakes up in your life and wants to be difficult in the morning. Did you know that? Did you know, Sarah, no one woke up today and decided, I'm going to make your life difficult today. But yet people make our life difficult sometimes. Guess what? They're not trying to do it. No one's on a mission to make your life hard. No one. We're not that special. No one's sitting down, I'm going to make, I'm going to make Ben's life hard today. No, I'm not that special. No one's on a mission to do that. But sometimes people are tricky and that's why we've got to see the best in them. They're trying. Right. See the best in each other. Cheer each other on. Let's be a church full of joy that cultivates joy in each other. Cheer one another on to good works. You're doing well. Keep going. They make a mistake or they rub you, wrong, rub you up the wrong way. Ah, they're doing their best. It's just freeing. You know, when you bring joy to someone else, you're filled with joy. In the kingdom of God, when you give out, you're not left empty. You're actually filled with it. So when you give out encouragement, you're encouraged. If you give out a blessing, you're blessed. If you give finances, you're blessed. Whenever you give, God doesn't leave you empty. Be be someone who brings joy. Cheer them on. See the best in them. Right. I read read a quote the other day. Jesus wasn't sent to to condemn the world, so neither are you. No. (laughs) Oh, that's a good one. Bring joy. Bring joy to people. Third thought is, how's your hope barometer? In the car, you have that, that cool and hot, you know, the, you, it, hopefully it sits in the middle or the bottom third, right? Your, your car's too hot, get off the road, right? My first car, it didn't work and it blew up, right? But uh, it's a barometer of how hot the engine is. How's your hope barometer? Is it dead? Is it cold? Is it hot? How full of hope are you? Because how full of hope you are is how full of joy you'll be. Because joy and hope go together. Our church, how full of hope are you for our church? 
for your family. Oh, little Freddie, he's just gone the wrong way. There's just no coming back. Well, of course you're going to have no joy about that. You've got no hope. Or our world, our community, it's a mess. There's no coming back to hope. Of course you're going to have no hope, no joy. You've got no hope. How's your hope barometer? Go for it. How's my hope with my family, my, my marriage, my work, my community, my world? Because remember, we don't hope by what we see, we hope by who Jesus is. Because he's defeated sin and death, he's on the throne in heaven, he promises us his spirit, right? He promises us his working, he promises abundant life, he's got all these promises. So if we hope by Jesus, our barometer should be pretty full, not by our circumstances. In the last few years, some people are going, oh, the world's in a horrible place, I don't think it's that bad. Because I can see God moving, I can see God's plan, I can see God doing things. Like, where's your hope? And it's not denying the reality, right? But it's your hope for what the future. You know, in your brain, in the same spot in your brain, is your memory and your imagination. In the same, it comes from the same spot. People with short-term memory loss can't imagine what tomorrow looks like. They found this study when they've had memory loss, a brain incident, they can't even picture what tomorrow would look like because your memory and imagination, what you think of the future, are tied together. And so many of us look at our future because of what's happened in the past. <laughs> oh, it won't work out or this will stop or uh, it happened last time so it will happen like this again. And it's just a bit of a, I don't think that's the way God intended us to live. We need to make new laneways in our brain where we hope on Jesus, not what we experience, not what we see, but we place our hope in Jesus, that he's with us, he's for us, he sent his spirit, he defeated sin and death, and we have the same victory. That's where we hope for our family, our community, our friends. God's moving, he has a plan. Miracles are coming, breakthrough is coming. We hope in Jesus. And when we have that hope, we're full of joy and it strengthens us. How's your hope barometer? Fourth and last point, get in his presence. Psalm 16. I think we've got it. You make known to me the path of life in your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. I say it quite often. If you want more of God, get close to God. If you want peace, get close to God. If you want joy, get close to God. He makes it so simple. If you want to be filled with joy, get in His presence. If you hope Roman is flat, get in His presence. <laughs> get in his presence in his presence there is fullness of joy how do we get in his presence you get to church but you have to spend time with God read, pray let's get close to God talk to him wait in his presence in his presence there is fullness of joy 
Because in his presence you'll find hope. You'll go into his presence with stresses or emotions and feelings and, you, and if you spend time in his presence you'll come out different because in his presence is joy, is hope. It's Jesus. John 15, 11, I've told you these things so that you'll be filled with my joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. Overflowing with joy. I like the sound of that. Be followers of Jesus, a church that's defined by our joy, by our love. I read it earlier, Romans 15, 13. I pray that God, the source of hope, will fill you completely with joy. Because and peace, because you trust in Him, then you will overflow with confident hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. Wow. To finish that, I'm going to have a time of prayer that if you want to be filled with joy and hope, I want to pray for you. We're going to do, do, going to do a couple of things before that. John 16 22. So you have sorrow now, but I will see you again, then you will rejoice, and no one can rob you of that joy. Um, who's heard the passage, and I'm paraphrasing it from Romans, when troubles come, consider it an opportunity for joy. Right? It's like, yeah, because that's what you do. <laughs> Flat tire, God, thank you for this chance to have joy. Right? It's just ridiculous. Right. Run into difficult daisy at the shops. Oh, God, thank you for this chance to have joy today. This lady just brings it from me. Like, no, I was like, God, what are you talking about? Consider an opportunity for joy. That's what you do when troubles come. No, you try and get rid of them. Right. <laughs> Consider an opportunity for joy. I was thinking about this because it didn't make sense to me. You know, joy's most powerful when troubles are there. So when things aren't going well, when things aren't going to plan, when the prayer hasn't been answered, that's when joy's most powerful. No one thinks they're all going good. So actually, when troubles are there, it is actually the greatest opportunity for the most powerful joy. Because if we can hope in God, hope in who Jesus is, be filled with joy, that is our strength, despite what we're dealing with, that only changes us, but it changes those people around us as a testimony. That's why it's an opportunity for joy, because joy shines brightest when you have joy when you shouldn't, when troubles come. And we have joy because of our hope in Jesus. Sarah, if you could just come, we'll just have you up here for now. And we're going to have communion now. And we have communion to remember Jesus. We remember that he laid down his life. So we're forgiven, we're restored. We have juice that represents his blood, biscuit that represents his body that he gave for us. Jesus, God himself, came to earth, lived a perfect life, laid down his life. He took sin and death from us onto himself, removing it forever when we have life in Jesus. He rose from the grave, defeating sin and death. So that us, over 2,000 years later, when we believe in Jesus, we're forgiven, we're restored, we're given life, and we're given hope. This is why we hope. 
that we're forgiven, we're restored, we have a home in eternity. The Bible says we have heaven on earth, his presence and power within us because of the cross, because Jesus defeated sin and death. This is where we hope. And we're going to have a time of prayer in a moment, but I just want a time where we reflect on what, who Jesus is and what he's done for us. Because Jesus is the hope which is the anchor of our soul. He's who we hope in. Not ourselves, not our family, not our community, not even our church. Our hope is in Jesus. And when we hope, it goes with joy and we're filled with joy. So the team are handing out the communion. And you can eat and drink whenever you're ready, but just, just, let's just take a moment here and just remember who Jesus is, what he's done, the source of hope he is as he's defeated sin and death. Let's not get used to it.